Remember that thou art dust, and to dust shalt thou return. Be seated. For years, I have felt such a degree of bewonderment at a Lenten phenomenon that used to make me sit up and take very careful notice at my former church home in New York City within that highly congested, yet all too significant crossroads of Wall Street and Broadway, 15 to 20,000 people made their way to Trinity Church on Ash Wednesday. Oh, they come every year. They come without fail. They come to have carbon black smudged on their heads in the form of a cross. That is a staggering number of people. And such a swell in weekday attendance that it demanded we marshal every possible black cassock resource in southern part of Manhattan to do the work of imposition, putting ashes on the head. You should have seen our thumbs at the end of the day. From way before sunup to way after sundown, we stood there amid long queues of somber souls who wanted that simple ministration of being ashed with a cross, along with sobering words, remember that thou art dust, and unto dust shalt thou return. Remember, don't you ever forget, keep it fresh and green in that mind and heart and soul of yours, that you are but a speck of lifeless, burned-out matter as you enter this holy place. That's your heritage. That's your present tense, in a sense. And as a matter of fact, that's your destiny as well. And if in your arrogance you think you've got something going for you, think again. Remember, you are dust, and to dust shall you return. Oh, I know there's so much more to be said about who and what we are in the spirit of the resurrected Christ, but we'll get to that in due course, like Easter or Pentecost. But for today, one truth at a time. In this season of life when we've become a notoriously impious lot who taste and nibble at any spirituality on the market that will tell us I'm okay and you're okay and we're okay. I think it is nigh incredible that we would ever listen to such a dust-laden dictum, much less have it smudged on our consciousness. I'm surprised that some standing liturgical commission hasn't decided to remove the medievalism here, extract the penitential, substitute new words, perhaps. My sister, my brother, you are lovable and adorable, and God just thinks you are peachy keen. And then, perhaps instead of dust, sprinkle the imposee with the silver glitter of fairy dust. Now, why in heaven's name would such a lugubrious action that sounds and feels almost like mud in your eye bring in the sheaves? And truly, it brought in the sheaves up there. I'll hazard a guess. I would say it draws in the masses because it becomes, for so many of those Wall Streeters and for many of us, one of the few moments in this life when the unvarnished 
truth is spoken. And as Jesus reminded us in no uncertain terms, the truth will set us free. We tend to cherish our freedoms. We love to have the truth set us free. Here is a liturgical second in time when the church can say without any equivocation whatsoever that our souls are tarnished, that we are broken, that there is something not right about the likes of us, that we have erred and strayed like lost sheep and that there's no health in us and that we're in dire need of being rescued. Oh, you know we've lost that important sense of desperation that calls out for a savior. But that reality is nonetheless still present and still yearning. Now, without a strong as vinegar reminder of that which constitutes a part of the truth about us, I suspect we might go to standing on a street corner like one of those inflated, pumped-up Pharisees, tooting our egoistic horns, making a display of our pompous selves, posturing self-righteousness to the nines. Learn to tell the truth, says Jesus, the unvarnished bread. Share it with God, perhaps with another. Get yourself right-sized during this Lent and do it without display. I would go so far as to say, you might just forget about all this giving up business for Lent and parading around Little Rock with ash-streaked foreheads or using briars and thorns for floral displays on the altar. Instead, concentrate on your inner life and what it means to be yearning and pining a desire in Christian terms for Jesus. He who sets it right helps us get back on track, delivers us from the disquietude of this world, and rescues us from what we once referred to as those powers, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Cultivate that relationship and do so in a spirit of truth. The truth will set you free and all else will follow. I'm certainly exaggerating my point just to caution any or all of us about trivializing, domesticating the spiritual power of this very important day and season. Every year, some of my acquaintances will proudly tell me that they have given up lobster for Lent. Our blue-coated peanut chocolate M&Ms, just the blue ones, not the red ones. Our Chateaubriand avec l'oignon. I just want to freak out when I hear something like that. That kind of ego-inflating self-denial has no impact on one's life whatsoever and absolutely nothing to do with our walk with Jesus Christ. If you really want to give up something, why not, as one sage put it, give up your fear of failure. Give up your small and limited view of God Almighty. Give up your need, of your need to worry or your comfort zone or your desire to please people or your tendency to overcommit or your estimation that your opinions about the nature of things constitute truth. Now, oh, we might be getting somewhere in this business of giving up and Christ could well be honored in the process. 
Listen to a portion of today's gospel reading from Matthew in contemporary parlance. Jesus says, be especially careful when you are trying to be good so that you don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. When you do something for someone else, don't call attention to yourself. You've seen them in action, I'm sure, play actors, I call them, treating prayer meeting and street corner alike as a stage, acting compassionate as long as someone is watching, playing to the crowds. Oh, they get applause, true, but that's all they get. When you help someone out, don't think about how it looks. Just do it, and do it very quietly and unobtrusively. That's the way your God who conceived you in love, working behind the scenes, that's the way your God helps you out. When you come before a God, don't turn that into a theatrical production either. All these people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for stardom. Do you think God sits in a box seat? Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and as honestly as you can manage. The focus, you'll notice, will shift from you to God, and you will begin to sense God's good grace. I got into a lot of trouble one year when I preached an Ash Wednesday sermon on the very end of this pericope, this portion of Scripture. It says, just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. I said to the congregation that day, don't just do something this Lent, sit there. Well, the liturgical police from that diocese got after me. And the pious folk in the congregation begged me to enjoin them to practice acts of self-denial, mortifications of the flesh, edifications of the mind, and invigorations of the spirit. One person even said, don't you understand, dear Father, the church is the gold's gem of the spiritual life. It's where we pump ourselves up and strengthen our spiritual laps and abs. And I was so tempted to say, Fie on thee. That's inflationism of the worst kind. You've missed the entire point. The point is developing a relationship, a relationship where honesty is the key. Sit down with Jesus. Let the focus shift from you and all your shenanigans. And then, as the gospel promises, you will begin to sense God's good grace. Let me end this homily with the collect for Ash Wednesday. In earlier days of this church, we said it every single day during Lent, at every single Eucharist, at every single morning and evening prayer. But now, probably because of its vinegaresque potency and brutal honesty, we only say it one time, tonight. You heard Lisa say it, you're going to hear it two times tonight. And if I get to preach again, you'll hear it three. Almighty and everlasting God, you hate nothing you have made. You forgive the sins of all those who are penitent. 
Create and make in us new and contrite hearts that we worthily lamenting our sins and acknowledging our wretchedness may obtain of you the God of all mercy, perfect remission and forgiveness. And all that through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Spirit, one God forever and ever.